when I was growing up, I thought Lone Star Beer was beer. Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. The history of Texas may be bathed in blood, but it's also soaked in beer, from small in-house and community breweries to an explosion of regional operations in the late 1800s through the peak dominance of big beer in the mid-20th century, Beer is as Texan as the Blue Bonnet or the Armadillo. So pop the top off a long neck and start sipping, partner. Today we're talking about history, Texas beer. But first, what's your favorite Texas-based game company? I'm a big fan of Steve Jackson Games based in Austin, Texas. Yeah, Car Wars. They uh, came to prominence, or they uh, got their start in the the late 70s, right after Dungeons & Dragons was introduced, and they produced a lot of tabletop and card games through the years that uh, I've quite enjoyed playing. Didn't they do GURPS? Uh, Yes. Yes, yes. GURPS was a Steve Jackson product. Oh, Toons. That was a great game. Yeah. Well, I am going to put your pens and paper down and say, break out the old computer, man. Break out the 386. Let's play some Doom with id Software right out of Mesquite, Texas. (laughs) And world uh, world famous computer programmer John Carmack. Also Rocket Guru. The The big, big black cube. Yes. Their headquarters is now in Richardson. Oh, wow. They're moving up in the world. Right down the street from my office. Take that, Mesquite. Well, my favorite game company is Blackguard Press, who has made the new game. It's a role-playing game called Non-Essential Personnel. And, and uh, we happen to know the author and the owner of that game company. Friend of the show, James. Rising Lennon. Star. Rising Star. Rising Keep star. your eyes on them, people. Now, before we get started, disclaimer. We are not what you would call beer nerds. Uh, we drink beer. We like beer. But we're not what you would call connoisseurs. We'll probably make mistakes when we talk about the noodly technical beer stuff, and you might think the beer we like is crap, but we're not going to lie to you about it. Uh, because as Stephen King said through his character Judd in the book Pet Cemetery, a man who lies about beer makes enemies. Yeah, we're not going to talk about hops or malt or any of that stuff at all. Except where it pertains to history. Yes, exactly. The history of beer in Texas is as long and as colorful as the rest of the state's history. At least we assume it is. Why wouldn't it be? Unfortunately, there's not a lot of records of what happened in the world of Texas beer before the Civil War. We can safely assume that some monks in Spanish missions might have had some brewing in their tradition, and perhaps some of the native Texas tribe produced some beer-like beverages made out of corn, but we really don't know. What we do know about the earliest Texan beer is that prior to 1840, just like the rest of the United States, Most beer was of the ale variety that didn't require aging or cooling. These types of beers included, of course, ales, porters, and stouts, which were brewed in the British tradition. Around 1840, German and Czech immigrants started to make their way into central Texas. Now, they made it known that they preferred lager beer, which requires cool temperatures. So most of the beer brewed in Texas between 1840 and 1850 was produced in the colder months. Now, why the colder months? Lager literally means storage in German. The type of yeast used in that beer had to be stored at low temperatures. It was originally aged in caves. In the late 1800s, refrigeration made it possible to brew lager year-round. It actually used to be illegal to brew in the summer in Germany. Apparently, most people prefer lager beer because pale lager is the most widely consumed and commercially available beer in the world. 
Bach beers are also lagers, as are Pilsners and Dunkels. The 1850 census population schedule shows that there were 19 brewers and distillers in Texas, but the manufacturing schedule does not list any. People considered themselves to be in the business of brewing, but they were mostly running small operations out of their homes. The first commercial brewery in Texas was possibly the Western Brewery, owned and operated by German immigrant William A. Menger. It was located on Alamo Square in San Antonio. Western Brewery was founded in 1855, and by 1878 when it closed, it was the largest brewery in the state. Menger also built a hotel next to his brewery, which contains a large stone-walled cellar for lagering. Soon, it was the most popular hotel in San Antonio. The Menger Hotel is still there, and long outlasting the brewery, and it's found its way into a great deal of Texas legend and lore. Its guests have included at least four presidents, Robert E. Lee, Mae West, Babe Ruth, numerous writers, actors, politicians, and soldiers. It's also where Teddy Roosevelt assembled the famous Rough Riders in 1898 for the Spanish-American War. Today, it's considered the most haunted hotel in Texas. Ooh, spooky. The Kreisch Brewery was also founded in 1855 near the town of LaGrange, which is southeast of Austin. This brewery was founded by a German immigrant named Heinrich Ludwig Kreisch and was built next to Monument Hill, where the remains of the Dawson Massacre and Black Bean Lottery victims were interred a few years before. Their flagship product was Kreisch's Bluff Beer. The brewery, the third largest in Texas at the time, was operational until around 1882. There were 11 breweries listed in Texas in 1860, and by 1870 that rose to 27. All of them were located in centers of German influence, such as the Central Hill Country, except for a couple in El Paso and Nacogdoches. Their output continued to be almost exclusively lagers. Beer production in Texas had not yet been industrialized. Only four of the breweries were equipped with steam engines to power the process. From 1870 to 1890, there was sort of a Texas beer bubble, which saw a huge increase and rapid decline in the industry. In 1875, there were 44 breweries and 58 by 1876. But from that point on, there was a steady reduction in the number of breweries and the rate of production. By July 1889, there were only eight Texas breweries in operation. What caused this sudden decline? Well, progress, industrialization, and time. Part of it was that the earlier generation of brewers had started to die off. Minger died in 1871 and Kreisch in 1882. Without the leadership of their founders, the brewers were in a weakened position and were unable to adapt to the coming changes. The dependence on handcrafted production techniques also hurt the small brewers. Big beer came to Texas in the form of national breweries such as Anheuser-Busch of St. Louis, with their consistent quality control and competitive prices. Customers always knew what they were going to be getting. They also brought advertising campaigns, large-scale industrial production, and high-quality packaging. The small breweries in Texas just couldn't compete. A new era in Texas beer began in 1883 when Adolphus Busch, the co-founder of Anheuser-Busch, came to San Antonio. Together with a few local businessmen, he opened the first large-scale mechanical brewery in the state, the original Lone Star Brewery. Their production quickly rose to over 17,000 barrels a year by 1885, and they put a lot of smaller breweries out of business. Lone Star marketed beer under the labels Buck, Erlanger, Cabinet, Alamo, and Standard. They continued to prosper right up until the passage of the 18th Amendment in 1920, which outlawed the sale and production of alcohol and began the Prohibition era. The original Lone Star Brewery did not reopen after Prohibition, but the name Lone Star was resurrected in 1940. Much like William Minger, Adolphus Bush has a legacy in Texas other than beer. 
the Adolphus Hotel in downtown Dallas still bears his name. Constructed in 1912 with the intention of being the first grand hotel in the city, it was once the tallest building in Texas at a dizzying 312 feet. It's on the National Register of Historic Places, and we're pleased to report that, like the Minger Hotel, the Adolphus Hotel is supposedly haunted. There must be something about beer-related hotels and ghosts. The other major Texas beer operation born in the 1880s was the San Antonio Brewing Association, which purchased an existing brewery and began turning out Pearl Beer in 1886. Like many others, they managed to stay in operation through prohibition by switching to soda and near beer, which is a form of low-alcohol beer that could be legally sold. I believe the limit was 0.5% alcohol. Between the arrival of big beer and prohibition, many regional breweries closed up, shop, and disappeared. The few that survived did so through loyalty, low prices, and fresher products. One of the regional breweries that continued operating was the Galveston Brewing Company, founded in 1895. With Adolphus Bush as one of the major investors, the Island Brewery incorporated a large-scale ice plant, cold storage rooms, and adjacent railroad tracks for distribution. The facilities were so well-constructed they survived the 1900 hurricane without significant damage. It's probably one of the few things that did. They produced beer under the labels High Grade and Seawall Bond under, until Prohibition. Then they retooled for a, quote, non-intoxicating cereal beverage called Galvo. That sounds delicious. <laughs> Galvo. <laughs> I don't want to know what, what a cereal eating? beverage is, mm. but... I was going to have some cereal. <laughs> no, have a glass of Galvo to start your day. I could just hear those commercials on the, on, the, on the radio, on the wireless. This proved unsuccessful, so they started making soda pop instead, changing their name to the Southern Beverage Company and later on to the Galveston Beverage Company. They developed the XXX brand of ginger ales and root beers, and they got into the diner business and eventually sold out to Falstaff Brewing in St. Louis in 1956. And XXX root beer still around in southeast Texas and Louisiana. Prohibition hit all the brewers hard, including the big ones. Many closed, and other like Pearl and Galveston Brewing switched to legal products. After Prohibition ended in 1933, the small breweries continued to decline, and corporate big beer continued to prosper. The reduction in brewery numbers was not, however, related to the beer consumption in the state. Texas beer consumption per capita was 7.5 gallons in 1940 and 30.1 gallons in 1980. As the number of operating plants decreased, actual production increased as consolidation and modern industrialization took precedence. Texas beer production was ranked 28th among the United States in 1878 with about 37 breweries, but we were second place in 1983 with only six breweries. Anheuser-Busch, Miller... Schlitz, Lone Star, Pearl, and Spetzel. This reflected the same trend as the rest of the national industry. Fewer producers, but they're producing more. The nationwide chains did well in Texas during the post-war period. Anheuser-Busch opened a Houston plant in 1966, which produced 900,000 barrels of beer under such brands as Budweiser, Bud Light, Michelob, and Michelob Light for the Texas and South Louisiana market. The Miller Brewing Company bought the Carling Brewing Company plant in Fort Worth the same year. Miller started brewing their own brands in 1969, and by 1975 they were the largest brewery in the state, turning out 6 million barrels with labels of Miller High Life, Miller Light, Lowenbrow, and Magnum Malt Liquor. The third nationwide chain to begin operations in Texas that year was the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company. They opened a million-barrel facility in Longview, which is in East Texas, 
and produced beers under the Schlitz and Old Milwaukee labels for college students everywhere. Yeah. Now, friend of the show, James Abendroth, has a direct connection to the Schlitz Brewery in Longview. His mother worked there as a beer tester. She was responsible for monitoring pH, composition, color, etc. For, for different batches of beer. Failed batches occasionally made it out of the plant and into James's trunk and eventually to his apartment in college. Mm-hmm. Um, they sometimes had strange labels such as Canadian Black Label, produced in Longview, Texas. Uh, beer originally destined for a faraway market, obviously. The irony, of course, is that James's mom did not even like beer. She did, however, meet James's stepfather there. James got to visit the plant once in a while, and on one of those visits, he recalls his stepdad, who was in charge of the highly automated production line, uh, he recalls him getting upset about one of the robots being on fire. My robot is on fire! So, you know beer has made it into the modern era when it is partially produced by robots. Robobrow. That's what I want. Now, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about a trio of Texas breweries near and dear to our hearts. Those are Pearl and Lone Star, which we've talked a little about, and the Spetzel Brewery, which we haven't. In 1883, the San Antonio Brewing Association purchased the J.B. Beloradsky Brewery and rechristened it the San Antonio Brewing Company. Much easier on the letterhead. (laughs) They purchased a name and formula from the Kaiserbeck Brewery in Germany and began producing Pearl Beer in 1886. The name was chosen because a German brewmaster thought the bubbles in a freshly poured glass resembled pearls, which he called Perlin. Otto Kohler, the manager of the original Lone Star Brewery, became president and manager in 1902 and grew the company into the largest brewery in the state in 1916, with a capacity of 110,000 barrels a year. After Otto's death in 1914, leadership was transferred to his wife, Emma. Emma Kohler kept the brewery running through Prohibition and became one of the few to survive. She managed this by brewing near beer, bottling soda, and branching out into the commercial ice and creamery businesses. She even ran an advertising signage company. Within 15 minutes of Prohibition ending in Texas on September 15, 1933, 100 trucks and 25 boxcars rolled out of the brewery, ready to make a delivery. They were ready. They were ready. (laughs) The San Antonio Brewing Association officially changed their name to the Pearl Brewing Company in 1952 and were soon acquired by the Getz Brewing Company from Missouri. That was in 1961. This acquisition and a later merger with the South Down Corporation of Houston in 1970 allowed Pearl to expand to a national market. They bought the formula and name of the popular Jack's Beer of New Orleans, and their 1.8 million barrels of beer were sold in 45 states by 1981. The Pabst Brewing Company took over Pearl in 1985, and they went on to purchase the Stroh Brewing Company in 1998. The original Pearl Brewery, however, closed in June 2001 due to the difficulties in modernization. It was just going to cost them too much to bring things up to a modern standard. Today, production of the Pearl beer brands has been outsourced to the Miller Brewing Company in Fort Worth. Today, the old Pearl Brewery is a newly gentrified residential and commercial development with housing, restaurants, and the San Antonio branch of the CIA. That is the Culinary Institute of America. Texas Society. Right. Um, You know, the funny thing about Pearl Brewery is that it was just the signage, that big triangle sign, and that that signage is just such an iconic thing to see in San Antonio. It's a landmark. It's a landmark. And then, you know, it was 
growing up, it was like, it was Lone Star and Pearl. That was what we, you know, you just thought of as beer when you were a kid. That's what you saw people drinking around you. But uh, if you're from San Antonio, like I am, you know, I've talked about it before. I know that I'll talk about it again. And if you're listening, Mr. Chuck Norris, <laughs> your film, Lone Wolf McQuaid, <laughs> changed lives. And uh, it was it was his signature drink throughout the movie, and uh, I think that had a lot of influence to me on me in uh, 1982. Yeah, 83. Didn't you have a uh, a relative that worked the Pearl Brewery? Yes. Uh, so my un- my mom's brother, my uncle, he had a cousin who was uh, his dad was one of the uh, refrigeration specialists at the brewery, and he worked at the brewery and. Yeah, and and they would he would spend a lot of time at their house in San Antonio when he was a kid. So he yeah. had some you know no no great stories from the brewery that I've been able to to dig up from them. Unfortunately, those are lost to time and, and age. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but you know refrigeration is important for lager beer. It is beer. the main critical component. Cold beer. Let's move on to Lone Star beer, uh, because that's probably what most people think of as beer from Texas. Modern Lone Star beer was first brewed in 1940 when the Salinas Brewing Company of San Antonio acquired the copyright to the original brand and began selling the, quote, National Beer of Texas based on the premium formula developed by Peter Creel of Munich, Germany. They were acquired by Washington-based Olympia Brewing Company in 1975 and sold again to the Stroh Brewery in 1996. Stroh moved all production to their facility in Longview and shut down the San Antonio plant. The Pabst Brewing Company purchased Lone Star in 1999 and began brewing Lone Star at the Pearl Brewery in San Antonio, bringing this proud tradition back to the city of its origin. Pearl still operates the brand today, but they conduct their production at other companies such as the Miller Plant in Fort Worth. Tangential to the subject of the Lone Star Brewery is the Buckhorn Saloon and Museum. Um, Now, the Buckhorn Saloon was established in 1881 by a 17-year-old Albert Friedrich who was a bartender and bellhop at the San Antonio Southern Hotel. And the Buckhorn has a lasting legacy that far surpasses its humble beginnings. Uh, Soon after opening, Albert realized that many people coming in off the dusty trail didn't really have a lot of money. So he had the bright idea to start accepting horns and antlers in exchange for beer and whiskey. The result was the start of a collection that would become one of the largest and most diverse in the world. It ended up lining every wall and ceiling in the building, earning the Buckhorn Saloon the nickname the Hall of Horns. In 1956, the Lone Star Brewery had bought the Buckhorn Saloon and made it their official hospitality and sampling room. They continued to collect antlers, and the Buckhorn was preserved as one of San Antonio's most popular tourist attractions. But the Stroh's Brewery Company decided to divest itself of the collection in 1996, and the Buckhorn was acquired by Mary Friedrich Rogers, the granddaughter of Albert, and her husband Wallace. They moved the collection to a more tourist-friendly location downtown and in 2006 expanded to include the unofficial Texas Ranger Museum, which contains many authentic artifacts and Ranger Town, a replica of San Antonio at the turn of the century. Yeah, it's important to note that that is the unofficial Texas Ranger Museum as opposed to the official Texas Ranger Museum in Waco. Well, it is still an awesome yeah. museum to visit. Well, I've been to both of them. When I was a kid, we went to San Antonio, and we went to the Lone Star Brewery and saw the, the Hall of Horns. Hall of Horns. What I remember about that was that adults all got a free glass of Lone Star <laughs> beer. Kids got a free glass, free glass of root beer. So nice. I remember that. Then when my wife and I were dating... Uh, uh, 
years later, uh, we went to San Antonio and we went downtown and it's in a real nice part of downtown. And we went in and saw the Hall of Horns and the, uh, the fancy schmancy saloon type old time Western place. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the actual original saloon, but basically what they did is they took the collection of antlers and they took the original bar out of the saloon and moved it into the tasting Mm -hmm. room at the Lone Star Brewery. But that, the Lone Star Brewery, it's funny because, you know, I've told this story a lot, but when I was growing up, I thought Lone Star beer was beer. That was <laughs> that was the only option. That's all my dad ever drank. That's all his friends ever drank. I think one of his best friends still, that's all he drinks is Lone Star beer. But we didn't take a lot of like big vacations when I was a kid. Our vacations were usually going to the Deer Lease or going camping in the summer. But I do remember one actual trip, road trip that we took to San Antonio, and the big attraction was the Lone Star Brewery. And uh, there's a picture of my brother and I somewhere in a box at my parents' house. Might be in an album, but probably just in a box. Um, Standing in front of the big water tanks outside the brewery that are painted like giant Lone Star beer cans. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just one of my fondest memories is that trip. And I I, I don't remember much about the brewery. I just remember the big giant beer cans (laughs) and all the antlers. Well, the the buck. I will say this about the buckhorn. It is it is worth your time if you're in San Antonio to go and pay. One because it's a museum you can drink in. So if you don't like museums, <laughs> that you can get through it and have a great time. And number two, like if you're any kind of hunting or animal oh, fishing, yeah. I don't mean they are um, like Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven. They have shot and killed everything that's ever yeah, walked and yeah. crawled and put it in that yeah, museum. Yeah, in fact, there's. Probably right next to the in the same stack of photos with my brother and I in front of the giant beer cans is a photo of me standing in front of like a big mountain lion rearing up on yeah. its hind legs. Yeah, it's not just Stan- antlers. Standing there in my yeah. bright orange Astros yeah. ball cap. It's not just antlers. There's fish. There's fish and fowl and everything in the sun. The only thing you won't find in there that is hanging on the wall is a carrot. Yeah. So <laughs> vegetarians probably not into yeah. it. On the banks of Boggy Creek in 1909, in the middle of a vibrant Austrian, German, and Czech farming community called Shiner, a small tin brewery was built by the Shiner Brewing Association. Their first brewmeister was Hermann Weiss of Galveston. Their product was intended to replace what used to be brought in by rail from Houston and San Antonio, but the first keg beer spoiled due to improper fermentation and refrigeration. They never really recovered. The founders put their plan up for lease in 1914. A German brewmaster named Cosmo Spetzel trained and apprenticed for three years at home, then worked eight years at the Pyramid Brewing Company in Cairo, Egypt, before he immigrated to San Antonio in search of a better climate for his health. Apparently, the desert climate of Egypt did not agree with him. Spetzel heard about the Shiner facility and co-leased it along with Oswald Petzold in 1915 with an option to buy. Within a year, leaning on the beer made from his family recipe, which featured... Uh, pure malt and hops, which gives it a the beer a very caramelized sort of flavor. Uh, Spetzel bought the brewery and renamed it the Home Brewery. During Prohibition, the Spetzel survived by brewing near beer, making ice, and doing construction work in Florida with trucks and crews from Texas. By some reports, he also continued making regular beer. Yeah, that can't be confirmed officially. I we will not so. confirm or sully the good name Even of the Spetzel not Brewing confirm Company. It. When his wife died in 1921, the old brewmaster almost closed up shop and returned to Bavaria. But his daughter and the plant's business manager, Cecily, known as Miss Seeley, convinced him to stay in the business. When Prohibition was repealed, 
Normal production resumed, and the introduction of Texas Export Beer, also known later as Texas Special, with sales made within a 100-mile radius. Eventually, this brand evolved into the Shiner beer we know so well today. In 1947, Spetzel constructed the white brick Alamo-style plant still used today. When Cosmos died in 1950, Cecily became the only female brewery owner in the nation. The Spetzel Brewery passed from the family's hands in 1966 when it was acquired by San Antonio brewmaster William Bigler, who had served as brewmaster for the Lone Star Brewing Company and the Regal Pale Brewing Company of San Francisco. A group of stockholders purchased the company in 1968, and then four native Texans from Houston acquired it in 1984. Now, the Spetzel Brewery has been active in the community throughout its history, sponsoring cook-offs, festivals, and concerts. I think they've got their annual Shiner Music Festival every year. Cosmo Spetzel himself used to drive around the countryside offering farmers a cold beer, a soda, or silver coins. This was known as the, the Shiner Beer Break. There's a story on their website that talks about it where farmers would be out working in the fields and they'd come back and see a cold beer sitting on the fence post waiting for them. Uh, he also, Spetzel also marketed his beer with a hobo band uh, that continued representing the company after his death. I mean, that seems like a very, you yeah. know, country Texas Sounds like, thing. oh, brother, where art thou or something. It sure <laughs> does. It's charming. It, yeah, it is. It has its charms. Uh, I don't want fop. <laughs> In, My brand is Dapper Dan. I'm Dapper Dan, man. <laughs> In 1986, before the rise of microbreweries nationwide, the Spetzel Brewery was the last independently owned commercial brewing operation in Texas. And it's pretty remarkable that they managed to to keep that. That's a good run. Kind of that small community feel. I mean, they still do. It's like they they produce, you know, barrels and barrels and thousands of gallons of beer every year, a bunch of different varieties, but it Shiner and Spetzel Brewery, they still have this small town community it, feel to it. And it's, it's only really been in the last 15 years that even it's come up here, much less... It was one of those things you could only get... In Central Texas, in not, central, even, yeah. not even yeah. Central. And then when it was in North Texas, you couldn't get it in Oklahoma. What came next in the history of Texas beer? Microbreweries. A microbrewery generally produces less than 75,000 barrels a year. The Lone Star State is lousy with them, just like the rest of the country. Originally only allowed to sell on their own premises or locally, changing laws have allowed them to start increasing their reach. This resurgence in small independent brewers is enough to fill its own episode, so let's just quickly touch on some of our favorites. One of my favorites, and they're really popular in the south southern part of the state, is the St. Arnold Brewing Company in Houston. Um, their main staple uh, signature beer is the Fancy Lawnmower, which is a it's a lager, but hmm. it's, a, it's a Pilsner um, but I'm it's sold on the name they make, alone. Yeah, they make a bunch of yeah, but it's got a wide very, variety of right, right. Styles. But the fancy lawnmower has kind of got a bright, fruity taste to it, and um, they're Texas' oldest craft brewery. They were one of the first ones that started this whole craft brewing movement. Um, they were founded by a home brewer in 1994 who finally decided, you know what, I like to do this. I want to do more of it, and he founded the brewery. Well, in San Antonio, you have Ranger Creek. Uh, it's also a distillery, and this was just started by a few friends in the Flying Saucer UFO Club, which is a restaurant uh, slash bar in in Texas, and they're actually spreading out across the U.S. now. Yeah, they're all over the country. They're all over the country now. Hundreds they, of beers. They have hundreds of beers on tap and even more in the back behind the counter. 
But uh, a few friends got together. They decided that San Antonio needed a new microbrewery and a whiskey distillery. So way to go, fellas. Yeah, and there's also an interesting story on their website where they talk about, well, where does the name come from? And, well, Ranger Creek is apparently a well-known creek there in San Antonio, and they have a whole story about how they can imagine the um, uh, John Coffee Hayes and his men standing there by that creek and maybe doing some distilling of their own. Uh, there's another small brewery outside of San Antonio called Five Stones Artisan Brewing, and they are in Cibolo. Um, I didn't had never heard of them until my brother brought a growler of beer of theirs to the Elfstrom Family Crawfish Boil this year, which is called their Pineapple Pina, which is a pineapple and jalapeno-flavored beer, which maybe doesn't sound great. Hmm. But right it's, now on paper, I'm not loving it. But it's super delicious. <laughs> Super delicious. It's a good summer beer. Next up is the Franconia Brewery in McKinney, which is where I live, the town that I live. They uh, are known as the Brew From Here, and owner Dennis Swerman worked as a brewmaster for the Two Rows Brew Pub before founding his own brewery, which is out in East McKinney. They make a Hefeweizen, and actually they have a tour, which several of my friends have been on, and I think maybe a come-and-take-it tour is probably... Yeah, sure, why not? Should be in the, the works. The, I really, Give really, us a call, Dennis. Yeah, <laughs> I really like Franconia, and for the longest time, you could only get it on draft in local bars. Uh-huh. And then uh, just a few weeks ago, we were at Costco buying our groceries, and there was a case of Franconia in a plain brown cardboard box, and I was like, I'm buying that. Yeah. I can now drink Franconia conveniently well, in you my could, own home. Yeah, you could buy it in bottles from the brewery directly. Right, but... But you had yeah. to go up to McKinney. Hey, to you can it. drink it wherever you want. At school, work, <laughs> church, in bed. <laughs> Comes in convenient packaging. On the toilet, drink whenever you want. <laughs> yeah. 903 Brewers is uh, located up in Sherman. And they are known for their toasted coconut beer. New to the scene, Jeremy and Natalie Roberts officially opened their doors in June of 2013 with the Chosen One Toasted Coconut Ale and Ruse Red Ale. Recently, they introduced the Sasquatch Chocolate Milk Stout. Mm. They take the approach of trying anything that sounds remotely good and letting the community decide whether it's any good. 903 beers are only available locally in the DFW Metroplex on tap. Yeah, and I discovered them at the Alamo Draft House in Richardson. It was one of their featured beers, the, uh, oh, the toasted yeah. coconut. Yeah, I had that. It was and really it's, good. it's one of my favorites. Now, there's also the Lakewood Brewing Company, which is in the Lakewood area of East Dallas. Uh, it was founded by a Belgian named Wim Benz in 2011, and it's family-owned and operated, and basically his motivation was, you know, I really like beer. Uh, he went to SMU, I believe, and, you know, after he finished school, he moved over there to Lakewood, and he really enjoyed the community there, and he's like, you know what, I like beer, I want to make beer, and so they opened that brewery. They started with just a bunch of different Belgian-style beers, but they've broadened their selection. And like Franconia, and actually like most of the breweries, these microbreweries, a lot of their ad campaign, their way they sell themselves is with tours. You know, So pretty much any of these, you can go to their website and get the times and everything and um, just go and visit the brewery, have a tasting, and get to know the people that make the beer you're drinking. There's others that we haven't talked about, Deep Ellum Brewery, in our favorite place downtown, Deep Ellum, uh, there's roughly sixteen thousand uh, microbreweries in Austin. I think. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> and you know, and there's a lot more. Like I said, we yeah. mentioned a couple from San Antonio, but that's becoming a big, big hot spot for microbreweries. Yeah. And the other thing to remember about these guys is that, you know, it's getting back to that tradition that started 
that, that Texas started with. The beer, beer in Texas started with small independent community mm-hmm. breweries, and we're kind of getting back to that. And it's you're getting to know the people that are making the beer that you drink, and it's more than just, all right, I'm going to go in and grab a case of Bud or whatever. You're, you know the people. You get to know the people. It's cool about Texas that, you know, we've talked about this in other aspects of Texas, is that we're different from other places in America because there was such a large European influence here. You had the, the Tejano influence, you had the American influence, but then you had this German immigrant thing, and it was just like, yeah. oh, we're here in the middle of nowhere, and the beer is crap, so let's make some great beers. Let's get, And I can picture these guys with just, you know... Just magnificent mustaches beards. standing out in the play, you know, beards, beards and mustaches, German. big Germans standing out in the field, like saying, "Let's make some great beers," and uh, you know, and then there was a sort of time where it's like where Lone Star became, you know, Lone Star and Paps and these things became almost like joke beers, <laughs> and now we have such amazing uh, craft and beer yeah. culture here in Texas. I, I like that scene you pictured. This whiskey is not refreshing. Let us make some beer. <laughs> well, I, I we a, need some beer. <laughs> well, there's a quote yeah. from uh, every beer drinker knows this famous quote from Arnold Schwarzenegger where he says, "Milk is for babies. <laughs> Men drink beer. <laughs> Men drink beer." Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like you're saying, you know, it's the German influence, the Czech influence, um, all of that, you I know, do- came together. It's like you know, the most, like I said, the most popular variety of beer in the world is the lager, which is based out of the German brewing tradition where they would, you know, brew and store this beer in the cold caves underground. Well, I'd be interested to see if there's any Alsatian-style beers in Castroville. Yeah, it's Uh, possible. uh, And and that influence actually, much like music, that influence uh, of the the Central Europeans in Central and South Texas made its way south into Mexico culture uh, because beer became very popular. It wasn't popular early in the 1800s, but it became very popular in the late 1800s, 1900s. And I can only imagine that Texas did have some some part in that, just like the the polka made its way down into Mexico and into the the border regions. Yeah. Well, all they drink in Mexico is chango. (laughs) (laughs) That is an inside cut joke for you folks out there. Uh, So... I, I think we talked about Shiner a little bit, that when we were in college, uh, we were all coming of age and of being legal drinkers. Uh, Shiner was just starting to kind of make its way up into the area. Um, and I, I I still think of Shiner more of a, of a, of a craft beer uh, as a precursor to the, the yeah. craft beers uh, because it was very, like you said, very special. So you could only get it in Central Texas for so many years. Well, yeah, that, well, and it's still 100% of the Shiner beer is, is produced at the Spetzel Brewery right. made from the artisanal well water that they right. and I th- I think, out of the ground. I think more even than Lone Star. Lone Star has a cultural cachet to it. Mm-hmm. Pearl does as well, just just for the, the iconic status of the landmark and its iconic status in San Antonio. But I think, to me, Shiner Bach really exemplifies Texas beer today well what what's really cool about the the idea of you know we looked at the big plants what's happened with a lot of small craft beers is that the big brands were buying up a lot of these recipes and then they're replicating they make them in large facilities and large batches and they're not handcrafted they're just sort of you know we're entering an age where we talk about three you know want to be great when we have a 3d printer it makes whatever you want well that's what we have in (laughs) large beer manufacturing is is that yeah, they have robots they have robots beer. that make beer for you <laughs> and and that's I want one of those and it's great 
I mean, it's drinkable. It, it gets the job done, as people say. But at the same time, there's something really sort of intentionally wonderful about the fact of, you know, this building was, the you know, these immigrants came here and they built this building and they built this yeah. factory. And we make it here and it, we bottle it here and we keep it here. Mm-hmm. And it's a truly... Texan experience from start to finish, and and then the the original owner would take beer to Texas farmers, and yeah, the, you don't know heat like Texas heat in August when yeah. you're when yeah. you're well, reaping and, grain. Yeah, and one thing that you're not going to get from the like, yeah, okay, Lone Star is the national beer of Texas. I'm not going to take that away from Lone Star, but what you're not going to get from Lone Star is Lone Star is not going to release a variety of beer that is some sort of variant based right. on local flavors. Yes, like Shiner has their super delicious Ruby Red Ruby Redbird beer mm-hmm. that they release in the summer season, which is brewed with Texas Ruby Red grapefruits. Mm-hmm. Now, one yeah. thing I will say for Lone Star and the manufacturing process, and one of the questions I asked when we started talking about this, and, and I, I brought up Scott, was, you know, is there something uniquely distinctive that Texas has done to beer that nobody else has done? Have we blazed a trail anywhere? And you told me about Lone Star. Yeah, uh, the Lone Star Brewery, not the original Lone Star Brewery, but the one that started up in 1940, um, they're noted for developing the Millipore filter system, which made uh, non-refrigerated draft beer a feasible thing to do. So not next- sure what that means, but perhaps we can research it and talk about it later. Well, so I'm I'm not a big drinker because uh, I take blood thinners and I can't drink for I drink about once a month at the most. So when I drink a beer, I want it to be a good beer, a good tasting beer, uh, or to have some meaning behind it. And so, to, you know, if we have a Lone Star, it's because I want to be a Texan and drink at Lone Star. But Shiner is kind of my baseline beer because it's a Texas connection and because I'd like that style of yeah. beer. And um, one other thing, I mentioned the Ruby Redbird there. Uh, we also mentioned the uh, Five Stones Brewery in Cibolo. Uh, was reading just today that they partnered with the Widmer Brothers Brewery, which I believe is based in the Northwest United States. Mm -hmm. But they teamed up with them to produce a beer based, brewed with uh, grapefruits that they're selling in that market. So in a sense, Texas is also exporting its native flavors to other parts of the country. This beer-like revolution that has been happening for the last little while, I mean... Beer was just beer, and now, yeah. like, there's... It, it's funny, I went to, um, for work, I was out in California, and I was in a place, and they had nothing but craft beers, and I had no idea what any of the local things were, and so the guy was like, well, what do you, what do you look, what are you thirsty for tonight, and maybe I could find something, and I, I gave him, uh, I just said, and I happened to be in the mood for uh, an Irish beer, so I said, well, I'll just... Something that's like a Smithix. And he looked at me like he didn't know what it was. And I was like, well, it's only the single most popular beer in Ireland. So I don't know <laughs> what to tell you, person who claims to be a beer expert, to know nothing of beer. You know, so it, it's all confusing market. There's so many things out there and there's people innovating. But it, it's also an exciting time to know that there's appreciation for craftsmen. And there's so many craftsmen and Texans that are that are trying to build on the tradition of these original german and czech brewers so way to go way to go team but nothing beats the image as you said lone wolf mcquade popping that can (laughs) top shelf top shelf sam and then he hands him a pearl beer uh, a warm pearl beer beer. and drinking that so he can have the strength to get out of his 
his trapped, you know, the trap that he's in. It it it's an amazing film, folks. And if you love beer, go get yourself a six pack, yeah. maybe a twelve pack. Sit down and watch a little Wolf McQuay. Yeah. And as we close out this episode, if you've got a favorite Texas beer, a favorite Texas brewery, or a just a Texas beer story, share it with us. We'd Send love us it. an email. You know, find us on Facebook and post it there. Send it to us on Twitter. Let us know. Uh, we want to talk about Texas beer. Let's, or let's, if let's, you're a crazy, if you're one of these wonderful brewers out there who's making magic in your lab, you know, let yeah. us know what you're doing. Yeah, let's start a conversation and talk yeah. more about Texas beer. Texas beer. It's delicious. <laughs> Better than all the rest. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you. So like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave us some feedback. You can also find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Sean with two N's. And I'm Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas, Texas wants you anyway. anyway.